Let us pray. Lord, like those first disciples, we sometimes feel buffeted by the things that happen around us and to us. And we pray that like those first disciples, this morning we may hear your word of hope come to us. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today, as Tony reminded us uh, earlier on in the service, and as you were all aware as you arrived at church this morning, the London Marathon is taking place. Roads are closed. Buses are rerouted, which is why lots of people who very often are here on a Sunday morning just can't get here today. Tens of thousands of runners will be taking place. Some, as you know, will be serious contenders trying to beat their own record and beat other people's records as well. Other people will be dressed in the most outlandish of costumes and you wonder how on earth they're going to get round the course. Um, the course, I gather, is 26.2 miles long, so the internet tells me. Well, I think I could probably manage about 0.2 of the miles running, that's the downhill section into Woolwich. I could probably walk for the rest as long as I could be assured of the kiss of life and half a dozen mugs of tea and three weeks holiday when I got back. You probably, some of you, have similar limitations for the, why you're not in the marathon today as well. We all have our limitations, physical limitations, mental limitations and other limitations as well. And it's a wise thing to know what our limitations are. As well as having physical limitations, we have spiritual limitations. And it's wise to be aware, aware of those uh, too. During these weeks after Easter, with some of these lovely passages in the Gospels, uh, we have the opportunity of reflecting on what the Easter message has meant to the church, to Christians down the centuries and to us. Um, and the words that we have heard read this morning from the letter of Peter and which were taken up in the anthem that the choir sung speak to us about being born to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it's that living hope that comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that helps us to overcome some of our limitations. Now we've heard two readings this morning, one from the Gospel of John, one from the letter of Peter. And in those readings, I detected three of our human limitations, the ones that are very common to most of us, I think. And I thought it would be worth us just looking at those three limitations for a few minutes this morning. In the opening part of that passage from John's Gospel that Judith just read to us, the subject of forgiveness is mentioned. It is a subject, of course, as we know, that recurs time and time again in the gospel stories. And it's a thorny problem for most of us because most of us, if we're honest, know how hard it is to forgive. Without any shadow of doubt at all, it is one of our human limitations. Time and time again, we feel that we're being asked to get our heads around something that somebody's done to us or some trouble that they've caused to us and that we're not capable of doing it. Now, those first disciples of Jesus were very limited, too, when it came to forgiveness. They were very flawed individuals. And as we know, they fell easily to quarrelling with one another in the way that many people do. They both needed to receive forgiveness and to offer it. 
but they were just as limited in their capacity to forgive as we are. And so often the forgiveness that we offer or try to offer is something that we've done our best to muster up in our own strength. And so we find ourselves offering it with bad grace. We find ourselves offering it reluctantly. It's rather feeble and it gets watered down by our insistence on remembering the causes of what was the trouble at the same time as saying that we'd actually forgiven somebody. So it isn't really very authentic. But there is a power about the forgiveness that comes from God. When Jesus came after his resurrection and met his disciples, as Judas read to us from that gospel passage, he gave them authority to forgive. And there's that phrase in the passage there, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and then went on to talk about forgiveness. That phrase, breathing on them, is reminiscent, of course, of the phrase about God breathing on us at the time of creation. He breathed his life into us to give us life, physical life. And in the same sort of way, when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on his disciples and gave them authority to forgive, he gave them something of his nature to share, the life-giving power to forgive, because that's what forgiveness is. It is a life-giving power, life-changing power. And when he breathed on them, they had power to forgive. You may remember that question that came up in one of the, at the end of one of the gospel stories when Jesus had been healing, and the comment was made, who has power to forgive but God alone? Who has power to forgive but God alone indeed? Most of us don't have the power. But the whole point of this passage here is that God breathes on his disciples and breathes his life, his power to forgive into them. And this business of sharing God's life, something of his nature, because the risen Christ lives in us, has some very practical outworkings uh, where our natural limitations are concerned. A few months ago, I was speaking to somebody who spends a large part of her life engaged in uh, marriage counselling. And she told me something that I thought was very significant uh, out of her many years of, uh, of counselling uh, people about marriage. She said, when Christian couples come to me for counselling, especially when, if they've got into difficulties, she said, I find that I can work much quicker with couples if they're both Christians. Now that is not entirely surprising because this whole business of forgiveness is, becomes part of our DNA as Christian people. <clears throat> Very often when there is a need to put relationships together again, it is because somebody needs to forgive somebody else or because both people need to forgive each other. And Christians have a motivation for giving because we regularly acknowledge that we are forgiven people as well as being challenged to forgive. But we not only have the motivation to forgive, we have the power to forgive. We have that energy to forgive because the authority has been given to us. It's not about mustering up enough energy or courage or grace within ourselves to do it, but receiving that life-giving breath of God. 
And of course it works in the bigger scenes too, not just in personal relationships between two people where things have gone wrong, but in great community and national stories as well. Just mention one example, just over 20 years ago now, the people of Rwanda in Central Africa suffered one of the most awful genocides in the whole history of the world, when approximately one-seventh of the population were murdered. Uh, in that small country, uh, it was, uh, people were brutally killed uh, in an awful tribal warfare. The, the causes, of course, were complex. The brutality was enormous. But alongside that awful story of genocide comes a tremendous story of hope. Um, hope and reconciliation that have come through God's people where um, perpetrators and victims have been encouraged and helped to sit down, talk together, pray to together, and to offer and receive forgiveness. One of the characters, the great characters of that uh, uh, story has been uh, the man who was the bishop of Rwanda for some time, John Rukiana. And he's written a book about that slaughter, uh, about the aftermath, uh, and about the journey that many people have taken since the genocide. And in the introduction of that book, we read these words. He says, it's mir miraculous that in the place with the most reason to despair, you find the most hope, the most energy, and the most cooperation. That was not because human beings mustered up enough grace or energy uh, to forgive one another. It was because they allowed the breath of God to breathe power and energy and forgiveness into them and through them. And if you want to read a really powerful story about how God's forgiveness can change a situation, then I would recommend that book to you very heartily. And so that's the first of the limitations that so often um, dog us in life, that uh, limitation of forgiveness. That when we come to the resurrection, we talk about this living hope that we have. It is the first of that limitations that we are lifted above. The second uh, limitation that's highlighted in our reading this morning is also one that came from the gospel reading. Uh, it's the story of Thomas. Uh, you remember that John, in his gospel, records two appearances of Jesus to his disciples. Uh, the first one comes on the first Easter day, later on in the day when ten of the disciples, we assume, were locked in the room after his resurrection. Thomas wasn't there. Judas Iscariot wasn't there either, of course. So these ten disciples are there, and Jesus appears with them quite unexpectedly, takes them totally by surprise, uh, and... During the next few days, they then shared the message with Thomas. We're told that they said to him, Jesus has risen. They kept saying to him, one of the translations says, they kept saying to him, Jesus had risen. But Thomas didn't believe them. He wanted proof. And his desire for proof, the need to see, the need to touch, indicated his severe limitations when it came to faith. He was limited because he wanted evidence, the evidence of his senses. But then a week later, Jesus comes, same place, to his disciples, and this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus challenges uh, Thomas to investigate the marks of the nails in his hand and the hole in his side. And suddenly, that visible, tangible proof seemed totally irrelevant. 
It was unnecessary. Thomas recognized that Jesus was there, his Lord and his God. And sometimes we are limited by that need to be able to see things or touch them, to be able to bring some kind of proof to a situation. For many years I've uh, known a young man who's very friendly, very outgoing, very intelligent young man. Brought up in the Christian faith and a Christian family, taught the gospel stories as a youngster and enjoyed them. He's been taught Christian ethics and absorbed them deeply into his life. He's very kind. He'll go out of his way to help anybody. He's very courageous. He'll stand alongside anybody who's being put down. He has a, a very strong social conscience. But he stopped going to church. And he hasn't stopped going to church because he doesn't have time, even though he's a busy person. He hasn't stopped going to church because he's fallen out with people. He still likes the people that he went to church with. He's not stopped going to church because he found the church services boring. He stopped going to church simply because he can't get his head around belief in God. And he just feels that he needs to be intellectually honest and say so. And I admire him and respect him uh, for his honesty. He's a very clever lad. He's a mathematician very good school teacher but where faith is concerned his faith is limited by his intellectual ability sadly he demands that need for proof and it's actually easy for any of us to fall into that trap of limiting to God limiting God to what we can get our heads around uh, or allowing our desire to be able to explain everything to prevent him from working effectively in our lives we need to be sure that we don't reduce God to the point where we can understand all about him, predict what he's going to be able to do, bottle him up uh, in our creedal statements and, and observe everything that he's up to. As the prophet Isaiah put it, his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. For Thomas the disciple, that burden of needing to prove things became irrelevant when the risen Christ came and stood in the room with him. And we need to pray that we may have that same awareness of the living Christ. Time and again in our service this morning, we have affirmed he is with us in his living power. We need to pray that we may have that awareness of his living presence so that we're not bound by our limitations, our intellectual mental limitations of needing to be able to grasp everything. And the third and the other limitation that I want to mention this morning is actually mentioned in both our Bible readings. It came in the uh, letter to uh, Peter that Innes read to us as well as in the Gospel readings. And that has to do with suffering. Suffering of any sort is very debilitating, isn't it? It all too easily puts us in some kind of prison where we can't look out or beyond. If we're in severe physical pain, it's very difficult to plan what we're going to do next week, never mind next year. We just want relief from pain. Or if we're going through a period of mental or emotional pain caused by difficult relationships or things that have gone wrong uh, at work or in community, uh, it's virtually impossible sometimes to see beyond 
where we are at this very moment in time. And there are two references to sufferings in those readings. They're not on this occasion about the suffering of illness or mental suffering, but the suffering that comes specifically to Christian people because of their religious convictions. In the passage from John's Gospel, straight after the crucifixion, the disciples are huddled away in an upper room for fear of the Jews, frightened that the same thing that happened to Jesus will happen to them. There's a very real fear. A generation later, when Peter wrote that letter uh, to Christians in various parts of Asia Minor, he writes about his readers having to suffer grief in all kinds of troubles. We wonder what those kind of troubles were, maybe, but that was just the period when serious persecution was beginning to hit parts of the Christian church. Uh, a year or two later, Nero, uh, the emperor, decided to blame the Christians uh, for the great fire that broke out in Rome in the year 64. And when Peter wrote that letter, tensions were already getting high. It looked as if difficulties were on the horizon for Christian people. And one of the worst things about suffering, whether it's our physical suffering or our mental suffering or spiritual suffering, is that it does limit us. It prevents us being able to look forward. And about 50 years ago, Dr. Leonard Griffith, who was at the time the minister of City Temple Church in Hoban, a Canadian Presbyterian minister, uh, he preached on suffering on one occasion uh, and he nailed the problem in these few words. He says there is something worse in life than having to suffer. And that's the inability to see beyond suffering. And worse still, the refusal to believe that anything lies beyond suffering. And it is, of course, the message of this Easter season that helps us to move beyond this limitation because the risen Christ helps us to see through his own death and resurrection that there is something beyond human suffering. There is something beyond uh, all the pain that's caused by human wickedness and sin. Maybe the suffering can't be removed. Maybe we can't get round it. But there will be a time when we can get beyond it. And there are many, many, many of those Christian songs that come from the musical genre that we call the spirituals that come from situations and <clears throat> circumstances where people had every reason to despair. Many of them sung by the slaves who'd been taken from Africa to America back in the 18th and 19th centuries, working on the plantations and other places. Conditions were appalling, but it was their faith in a living Lord who defeated the powers of evil and the powers of death that gave them hope. And they knew that even if now they were victims of cruelty and injustice, God would bring them release and justice in the world to come. Now you may not be content with pie in the sky when you die, uh, as they say. You may want ham where you am, as somebody else put it. But there is something very real <clears throat> and something very encouraging about knowing that God has prepared something for us beyond this life. We are born anew to a living hope because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. 
So whatever our suffering is, if it's physical suffering or the mental suffering that we've heard so much about in the news during this last week, or the suffering of condemnation and ridicule for our faith, it may appear to trap us now, but we shouldn't see that as a permanent limitation. The resurrection message of the living Lord who walks with us, who has overcome death and has defeated the powers of evil, should prevent us from being limited. And I was reminded of this when I just reflected a little bit of how many of those short prayers that we use, that we call collects, how many of those short prayers end with phrases like, bring us at last to your everlasting kingdom, or bring us to share with all your saints in glory everlasting. So here we are, living an ordinary life, <clears throat> so often feeling limited, maybe the limitations of being able to forgive, the limitations of not being able to get our mind around things when it comes to matters of faith, the limitations caused by suffering of various kind. But we do not have to live with those limitations. <clears throat> there is a way to look beyond because we have been born anew to a living hope by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Thanks be to God. Amen. A moment of quietness. Lord, we ask you to remove from our lives those things that put unhealthy limits. Come afresh into our life. Breathe your spirit into us that we may have your power to forgive so that we don't get trapped by our meanness and selfishness of heart. Open our minds by your living presence beyond our senses and our intellect so that we don't miss you living and working amongst us. And give us a grasp of things eternal, so that we don't give way to despair in times of hardship and suffering. May we be born anew to a living hope, through Jesus risen from the dead. Amen. Just a reminder that should any of you want uh, prayer in a more personal way for things that are affecting and your life at the moment or those very close to you, there will be members of our prayer team here at the front of the church at the end of the service. I'm very happy to pray with you.